Now, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 as we continue our expositional studies of this fantastic book, Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians. For those of you who don't have the Bibles, if you can't hold on with somebody, we'll have it on the screen as we go along. We had 1 Corinthians 14 now. This is the 36th message we've given on this book so far. Paul is dealing, as you remember, with various problems in the Corinthian church. He's talked about jealousy. He's talked about divisions in the church. He's talking about the sin of one Christian taking another Christian to court. He's talked about a bad behavior around the Lord's table, and people have gotten sick because of it. Some have even died, meaning that God actually took them home. Now, for those of you who don't know what take home means, means that God actually caused them to die because of their sin and their failure to confess that sin. So the Corinthians were having all kinds of problems. They were boasting in their gifts, but Paul was saying that they were immature, they were fleshly in their behavior. So he wrote chapter 13, the chapter on love, and he gave that chapter to explain to them that what they needed as a church was love like um, Slim was singing this morning, what you need is love, sweet love. That's exactly what Paul was telling the Corinthians in chapter 13. Now in chapter 14, he instructs the church at Corinth how to show love in their church meetings because that's where the problems were being manifested. When the church came together, it was an uproar. Everything was in disorder. Everybody vying to be on stage, to have the spotlight on them. And so Paul is writing now to show them how love can be manifested in church gatherings. He's saying that love was not manifested at that point in the church at Corinth. Now, of course, when he gives instructions to the Corinthians, he's also giving instructions to us. And he gives two ways, two major ways that the church can show love when they gather together. The first is that they can give love by always seeking to use the best gift in the services. Then he gives the second one that we'll look at next time, Lord willing, because I've shortened my message to see if I could spend less time with the message. Uh, He says that you can show love by keeping order in the church. This is when he talks about women being silent and so on. So I know many of you will come just to hear that message on what this is all about. Uh, you might be surprised to what the text says if you haven't really studied it. So that's what we look at next week. But now he gives instructions to how they can use the best gift when they meet together. His underlying point is that prophecy is to be desired above speaking in tongues or an unknown language because the purpose of the gift is not realized. In other words, what he's going to do in this section, in these first verses, is to show that one of the reasons why speaking in tongues without an interpreter should not be done in the church is because it does not show love, because people are not edified by it. Look at verse 1. He says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and above all, that you may prophesy. So after having stressed the preeminence of love in chapter 13, Paul wants those in the church at Corinth to excel, to 
to excel at edifying others with their spiritual gifts as an application of that love. In other words, this is one way you can show love when you gather together, he says. What you, what you need to do is to excel in gifts that edify others. When you do that, you show love. The implication is when you don't, you don't show love. Now, when you look at verse 1, there are two verbs, at least there's one major verb here, and it's in the, what we call in the present continuous tense. That means that what is commanded is to be done on an ongoing basis. So he says, pursue love. What he means is keep on seeking to show love. It's an ongoing thing. Never stop that. You are always to be finding ways to show love. But then he says, because some people might have gotten the idea that Paul does not want the gift of tongues to be used at all. So Paul makes sure that he corrects that. And he says, also keep on desiring that spiritual gifts be exercised in the church meetings. In other words, he says, don't give up on the gifts. Just be sure that you're using the ones that build up the body and not ones that focus on yourself. He says, especially keep on seeking for prophecy to be exercised in the assembly rather than the gift of tongues, because the gift of tongues was the one that was causing problems, as we'll see. Now, why is this so? Because Paul is definitely taking sides here. He's taking sides with the giving prophecy rather than speaking in tongues that are not interpreted. Paul is not beating around the bush here when it comes to what is the most important gift to be used in church gatherings. He says that gift is prophesying. And we'll elaborate on this in just a few minutes to tell you what he means by prophesying. Here is the reason why prophecy is greater or more important than speaking in tongues when we meet for worship and instruction. Verse 2, notice what it says. For, for in scripture when you read it always gives a reason. For the person who speaks in another language is not speaking to man but to God, since no one understands him. However, he speaks mysteries in the spirit. Now I believe that this is one of the most misunderstood and most in, misinterpreted verses in the scriptures right here. This is not a positive statement. This is a negative statement. It is not this is not commending. This is condemning what is going on. Simply put, what the verse is saying is, speaking in tongues without interpretation is useless because no one except God can understand. Now, that's not a positive thing. That is simply emphasizing the, use, the uselessness of what is being done. It says, you are saying something and only God can understand it. Why? Because God can understand anything. You understand what I'm saying? So this is not a positive statement. This is a negative statement. You are doing something that is of no use. Why is it of no use? Because it doesn't edify the hearers. That's what he's saying here. The purpose of gifts that Paul emphasized again and again is to what? Edify the body of Christ. That's the purpose of gifts. So if that purpose is not being realized, then we're not using the gifts in a loving way. That's Paul's point here. Paul is not in any way encouraging this. He is pointing out its uselessness to the body of Christ, that is, tongues without interpretation. Now, when he talks about speaking mysteries in the Spirit, it's simply meaning that the person is not making sense. It does not mean that he's speaking to God or the Holy Spirit. Now, if you look at different translations, you'll see that word spirit in some translation is a capital S, 
in some translation is a small s because there's a difference in opinion as to whether it's the Holy Spirit or the human spirit. I believe he's talking about the human spirit and emotions. That seems to make sense in the text as a whole. And so I believe that the spirit here refers to the human spirit and emotions rather than the Holy Spirit. Paul will, Paul will tell us later on that genuine speaking in tongues when it does occur, that the intellect is not involved at all. You don't understand it. The only thing that is involved is your emotions or your feelings or your spirit, your human spirit. In other words, it's a selfish activity. It doesn't uh, benefit anyone else except the person who is doing it. And that's not the purpose of spiritual gifts. But on the other hand, Paul says in verse 3, the person who prophesies speaks to people for edification, encouragement, and consolation. That is the purpose for spiritual gifts, to edify, to encourage, and to console. Paul says when that is not done, when you don't use your gifts for that purpose, you're using the gifts in an unloving way. When you use it in a way where people are edified, are encouraged, and are consoled, then you're doing it in a loving way. And the purpose of spiritual gifts is to edify or to build up to the body of Christ, not the individual. That's why we can actually say that what Paul is saying here is, love is building up one another when we meet. You want to know how to show love in assemblies? Build one another up. Paul say when you do that, you are showing love. You are putting into practice what he taught in chapter 13. When we build up one another through the gifts we have. So what Paul is saying then is when it comes to speaking gifts, building up others can only happen when they understand what is being said. If you don't understand what is being said, you cannot be built up, you cannot be edified, Therefore, if you do something that cannot be understood, you're not edifying, you're not using the gifts properly. Notice what he says in verse 4 now. The person who speaks in another language builds himself up. Now, that is not a positive statement. Many people take that to mean, hey, the gifts are given so I can build myself up, the gift of tongues. Paul is using this in a negative sense. That's not the purpose of gifts. Gifts are not meant to build up the individual with the gift. It is meant to build up what? The whole body of Christ. So when he says the person who speaks in another language builds himself up, he's actually saying that's not the purpose of spiritual gifts. It's a selfish action which does not show love for others. So when you say you're speaking to yourself in tongues, you're being selfish, you're not being loving is the implication here. But notice he says, but he who prophesies builds up the whole church. Now prophesying is the kind of ministry that people understand. It consoles, it encourages, and so on. That is what he's saying here. Now, to make sure that the Corinthians and us understand what he's saying, he emphasizes the point in verse 5. He says, I wish all of you spoke in other languages. Now, Paul knows that this cannot happen. Why? Because he's already taught that not everybody has the gifts. Isn't that right? So he is not really saying this is possible. He's trying to make a point here. He's trying to make emphasize what he's saying here. Then he goes on, but even more that you prophesy. Now he knows that this is also impossible, but he's trying to make the same point. Notice what he says. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in languages, unless he interprets so that the church will be built up. Now notice the truth here that is often overlooked. When somebody speaks in another language and he can interpret it or there is an interpreter, 
then that rises to the level of prophecy because it edifies others. All right? Now, when he says he's greater than the other, it doesn't mean that he's better than the other person. But he does mean that he's more important in a church service. The most important person in the church service is those or are those who minister in such a way that people are, under, people are built up because they are taught and they understand what is being said. All right? The purpose of gifts, then, is to edify or build up the body of Christ, not personal gratification, as speaking in tongues tend to do. Nothing can be more clear than this in this passage. But then Paul goes on to explain his point even further, because this was the, this was the problem at Corinth. They were using the tongues without interpretation and was only causing havoc, and there was no edification happening. Now he says in verse 6, But now, brothers... If I come to you speaking in another language, he says, now suppose I came to your church and I'm only speaking in tongues. Notice what he says. How will I benefit you? What does that imply? It implies that spiritual gifts are to what? Benefit. See the point? But if he comes speaking in tongues that nobody understands, how can you be benefited? I'm using the gift in a wrong way and in an unloving way. Unless I speak to you with a revelation. Now here's some of the things that edify. A revelation. This has to do when God gives direct revelation to individuals, which was the case back here before the scriptures were given to us, of course. Knowledge was the same way, the word of knowledge, we talked about that before. That's how God reveals himself to certain people in a special way, or prophecy or teaching. These are the loving things to do in a church service. Give a message that is understood by the hearers, like a direct revelation from God or through the word of knowledge that does the same thing. Now, you probably associate the word of knowledge with what you see on TV. These people get up here says, now, there's somebody in Nassau, Bahamas, with a uh, bellyache or headache or something else like that, and therefore, you know, be healed. You are healed. Claim your healing. That is a bunch of nonsense, and I can say that publicly without fear because it's based on the word. That is utter Nonsense. It is a misuse of the word of God. Yeah? Now, so he says, the word of knowledge that does the same thing. It edifies people because it reveals the mind of God, as does prophecy and teaching. Notice now, these things are mentioned along with the greater gifts. Why are they mentioned along with the greater gifts? Because they are gifts that build up the body. And when you use your gifts to build up the body, then you are you are using the gifts of the purpose for which they were given. Then Paul gives an illustration using musical instruments now. He's really carrying this point home. He doesn't want you to miss it. He, sa he says, even inanimate things that produce sounds, whether flute or harp, ro Roxanne plays the flute, if they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? You know who the people are who, who don't appreciate music? It's people who don't understand music. You know, you don't know, they don't know the notes, they don't know the thing at all. And they sit, man, why are you going to have this person play for five minutes on the piano or on the flute? And they don't understand it. Them, all it's, a all, it's only a sound. Why? Because they don't understand music. So it's foolishness to them, really. But the person who does, you see, will appreciate it and will revel in what is being done with the music. Paul says the same thing here. It's true of people who are speaking. If you come into church and you speak in tongues, nobody understands it. All you're doing is making noise. 
That's all it is. It's only noise. He says, if they don't make a distinction in notes, how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? In fact, if the trumpet makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? In other words, if you hear a trumpet sound and don't know that that sound that you hear was meant to call you to battle, then you won't go to battle when you hear the sound. You'll just wonder what that guy is doing with that horn. Why is he making that noise? You see? So you have to understand, you have to understand if you are really going to be able to be edified, is what he's saying. In other words, Paul is saying, if we don't understand the meaning or significance of the sound of a musical instrument, as it all will be, is a noise. Paul then makes his application to contrast prophesying in the, prophesying in a language that can be understood to speaking in a language that no one understands. He contrasts them now. Notice what he says in verse 9. In the same way, same way as what? As a music instrument making a sound you cannot understand. It's only noise. Unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech. You notice that? Intelligible speech. You see, not just babbling, not just noise, but it's something you understand. How will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. In other words, you'll be wasting your time. Verse 10. There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world, and all have meaning. This gives us an evidence here that the kind of tongues he's speaking about are languages that people can understand. He says all languages in the world can be understood by someone. All languages can be understood. So what he's saying here is that if somebody speaks in another language, somebody should be able to interpret that if it's a real language. If it isn't a real language, and he, before he told us there's no such thing as a, what some people like to say, a heavenly or a spiritual language. He's saying that all languages can be understood. Somebody has to be able to understand it. Now, that means that there are a lot of people who don't understand some languages as well. Like, for instance, people always think I could talk Chinese because I look like a Chinese. But I can't talk Chinese. People talk Chinese to me and I say, man, you sound foolish to me. You see? The point is, if you're speaking a true, genuine language, it has a meaning and will be understood by those who speak that language. Personal illustration, let me, let me put it this way. When I was studying this, I decided to look on a site of, a, of individuals who believe differently than I believe. And this fellow ended up his uh, comments on chapter, third, on chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians by saying now, for those of you who cannot speak in tongues, hold on to the end. I'm going to teach you how to do it. So I held on to the end. And I went and I turned on the thing. And he, come, he came and he says, now, first of all, you got to speak. He says, you got to do it. The Holy Spirit doesn't do it. You have to do it. And then he says, do it in syllables. Syllables. In other words, don't try to speak, speak full sentences one time. And then he went through it. He says, it might be, and then he went through, blah, 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 blah. You know? Uh, and he says, now, don't try to understand it, because you won't. That's something they say. Now, don't try to understand what you're saying, because you won't. He said, but you're speaking in tongues, and you can't understand it proves that you are. I mean, it was one of the most craziest things. I was going to show it to you, but I was afraid that you all will go home and try to do what he said. <laughs> and that will defeat my whole message this morning. 
Notice what he says here now. Therefore, verse 11, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. Now, just think of yourself in a group of people, say three of you, and two of them start to speak in another language. What are you going to think about the language you can't understand? What are you going to think about right away? Well, first of all, you think they're talking about you, right? You can think they're talking about you because, hey, I'm here. But you're going to feel an outsider, isn't that right? You're going to feel like Paul says, a foreigner, and you will be. You're foreign to that language, so you won't understand it. Paul said that's exactly what happens when you come to a church and you have somebody speaking a language you understand. They're treating you as foreigners because they're not speaking something you can understand. That's how what he says in verse 12. He says, so also you. In other words, he says, let me apply to you what I'm saying. Since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, and they were, they were zealous for spiritual gifts to be exercised. Like a lot of people, a lot of Christians, especially when it comes to towns, they're asking, why can't I speak in tongues, and so on. Paul says, well, if you are so zealous for, for gifts or spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. He says, look for those gifts then that will what? Build up the church, not for gifts that won't do it. In other words, put your zeal in the right direction. What you are doing now at Corinth is wrong. It is not loving. It's not a loving thing to do because no one is being edified. And so you are using your gifts in an unloving way. Paul says that is not what gifts are intended for. Paul then gives some practical and specific advice as to how Corinthians can show love to one another when exercising these gifts in building up the church. In other words, he's saying this is how you pursue love in when you gather together in a church meeting. This is how you pursue love. Verse 13, therefore, the person who speaks in another language should pray that he can interpret. For if I pray in another language, my spirit prays. Now, it doesn't say the Holy Spirit prays. It's talking about the human spirit here. It's talking about a person's feelings, emotions, and, and so on. But he says, he says, my understanding is unfruitful. In other words, my mind is not touched as well. I don't learn anything at all. He says, when a person prays in a language, no one, no one understands it. It does not help or benefit my mind or intellect. He said, I might feel good in my spirit, but feelings are not what is important. Understanding what God is saying to me is important. That's how one is built up and edified. So he says, if you have the gift of tongues, pray that you are also able to interpret. That's what he's saying. Now, that presents a problem for me, because early in chapter 12, he taught us that spiritual gifts are given by the sovereign will of the Spirit of God. We have nothing to do with it. We cannot choose it, select it, or pray for it. But now he's telling us, it seems that we pray that we interpret. I think he's just making a point here. Hey, if you are speaking in tongues and you do not understand what is being said, then don't do anything at all. Because it is not edifying the body, the body at all. So Paul is making a point. If you don't have the gift of interpretation, don't speak in tongues. All right? Or if you, if you don't know that there's an interpreter there then don't speak in tongues. What then should a person do? Paul say, here is a loving thing to do, verse 15. What then? In other words, what is the conclusion of this? 
I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with my understanding. He's talking about himself now. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with my understanding. The Spirit here is not the Holy Spirit. is one's own spirit or emotions or feelings. He's talking about how a person himself feels or responds to these things. In other words, he says, I will do both. This is Paul in finding fulfillment in my own life. I will do that which makes me feel good, but I will certainly also do that which edifies others, not just one. In other words, he's saying, this is where I will find my joy, not in only in what I do for myself, but what I do for others as well. Verse 16 says, otherwise, if you praise with the Spirit, now notice, praise is something that we are to do when we gather, because he's talking about that here. If you praise with the Spirit or in your spirit, now the implication only, if you praise with the Spirit only, how will the uninformed person say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you're saying? Now the word amen means what? To agree or high five, right? So he's saying here, you are in a church, someone gets up to say something or to give thanks or to praise. How are you going to affirm that you agree with it if you don't understand what he's saying? By the way, many people do that. I just heard one of my friends speaking on the radio the other day, giving a great message. And then all of a sudden he started speaking tongues. He didn't understand what he was saying. I didn't know everybody else. But he just interrupted a tremendously good message, speaking tongues that nobody understood because nobody interpreted. Nobody at all. So to, me, so to me, at that time, he confused everybody rather than edified people who were listening, you see. And so the uninformed person refers to those who cannot understand the language or perhaps the unsaved person who doesn't have the gift of interpretation. That's the person who's uninformed. The person, if they don't understand what you're saying, cannot say amen or praise the Lord. They cannot do it. Why? Because they don't understand. Paul is really repeating this truth again and again. So he says, For you may very well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in other languages more than all of you. Yet in the church. Now that implies that he doesn't do it in the church. He does it outside the church. Because later on he will show, that, in fact in this verse, in this passage, he will show that speaking in tongues are for unbelievers, not for believers. So he says, I thank God that I speak in other languages more than all of you. Yet in the church, I mean in the church gatherings, I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than, than 10,000 words in another language. Why? Because all of the words I'm saying, nobody understands. It won't build up. And so the most important thing is to edify. That's to use of the gifts. This is why, by the way, you don't see me suddenly stop and talk all kinds of things. Why? Because I prefer to say words and you understand than words and you don't. Now, you say in Lee, and you talk in tongues? If I follow that fellow's instructions, I'll be able to do that. And none of you will be able to tell me that I'm right or wrong. None of you. You see? It must be understood to edify. So verse 20 now, he comes back to what he taught in chapter 13 about immaturity. He says, brothers, don't be childish in your thinking. Remember we talked about immaturity in chapter 13? He comes back to that. 
but be infants in regard to evil and adult in your thinking. He says, if you want to be childish, be childish in what you do wrong. But if you want to really be spiritually mature, do that as what is loving for others. Don't be immature as believers, he says. Grow up. Act as adults by understanding and applying what it means to show love to your brothers and sisters. Use the gifts that build them up, not the ones that only satisfy the emotions. That's what he's saying here. Gifts are to build up the body of Christ. Our concern when we use our gifts, and of course, by extension, it doesn't only mean uh, languages, but it also means any exercise of any gifts we have. It should be for the edification or building up of others and not for our own benefit. Paul then draws up, then he goes to Scripture to validate what he's saying. He goes to the Old Testament, verse 21. It is written in the law. Now, this is not the Ten Commandments. It means the Old Testament and specifically the prophets that are also regarded as the law. He says, I will speak to these people by people of other languages and by the lips of foreigners. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. And this has to do with the time when God brought in foreigners to punish Israel for their disobedience. He says he did it for a purpose. He brought these people in who spoke a different language to discipline, to punish his people. But even then, they still didn't get the message. Now, he's bringing that over into his teaching in 1 Corinthians 11. He says a lot of things are happening like that when you use uh, tongues that cannot be interpreted. Nobody will understand it. Nobody will, you won't listen. How can you listen? It's a sign of judgment, immaturity, rather than a blessing. Notice, God says that even when he used foreigners to judge his disobedient people, they did not listen. They did not believe the application, or that they did not believe the message God was sending. Paul makes the application in the same way in 1 Corinthians 14, when it comes to speaking in a language in the church that the hearers do not understand. Notice what he says. It follows then that speaking in other languages is intended as a sign. Not for believers. Now, where do believers gather? In church gatherings, right? Church services. Tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. That is why Paul could say he speaks in tongues more than all of you outside of the church. Because he was being involved with Gentiles around the world. He says, but prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in other languages and people who are uninformed or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Wouldn't they say that you are crazy? Suppose someone who doesn't know Christ, someone who is, a, who is outside of Christ, like an unsaved person, walks in here and everybody is speaking in a language that none of them understand. How do you think they will respond to that? Exactly what Paul says. Say, man, these people are nuts. These people are crazy. No one can understand them. They're making all of these noise. You see. He goes, says, but if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all and is judged by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed. And as a result, he will fall down He will unworship God, proclaiming God is really among you. What he's saying here, as we'll see in the next section, next week, Lord willing, 
is that if an unbeliever comes into a church service, now, I want you to see implications here. Paul is implying that is back then it was an odd thing for an unsaved person to come to a church meeting. But now Paul says when they do come, what you have to be doing is make sure that you are having your service in an orderly fashion. Because he's going to end up by saying God is not a God of disorder, but a God of order. But if a person comes in, sees an orderly service going on, and you can understand what the preacher is saying or what the people are singing, God could use that to bring conviction upon the heart. But, in reverse, if all of us are speaking in another language, nobody understands, this person cannot understand it at all, and rather than being convicted of sin, they will turn around and be convinced that we are crazy people here in, in, the, in the church. So Paul is very clear. It's an unloving thing to use spiritual gifts that do not edify. Even if you think it edifies you, you shouldn't be doing it in an open meeting because the spiritual gifts are not designed to edify you personally. Spiritual gifts are edifying the body of Christ. So the loving thing to do is to seek that those gifts that edify are exercised in a church gathering. That's what he's saying here. Now he goes on in the next chapter, in verse 26, the next passage, to say that another way that you can show love when they meet is by, by maintaining order in church meetings. Now this is when he talks about women. But now I'm not going to go into this because I, I want to take some time to explain it because I'm, going to, I'm sure going to give you a different position on it as most of you uh, uh, either have not heard or you don't agree with. All right? I had to change my position on women after studying this passage myself because of certain things that I overlook, but is in the passage. And it's amazing how we overlook things. So let me give you, because of things we have in our head already, let me give you an illustration going back to chapter 12. I once asked the question, what, now those of you who heard this message, please don't, don't holler it out. What is a woman's glory? How would you respond to that? What is a woman's glory? Now, those of you who heard my teaching, please don't say anything. Those of you who haven't, what is your response? What is a woman's glory? Her hair. How many of you agree with that, that the Bible says that a woman's glory is her hair? All right. Go to chapter 11. If I've got the verse, you'll have a look it up. And tell me if that is so. Mark, you got that chat, you got that verse? It's chapter 11. But you see, we've been brought up with that teaching that a woman's glory is a hair. And even when I point to a certain passage that teaches differently, the person, many persons will still look up and say, it's a hair. Anybody found the passage? A woman's glory. 11.15. Would you read that? Mark, read that for me, please. All right, so what is a woman's glory? A long hair, not her hair. In fact, the whole teaching there is that a woman shouldn't have short hair. Isn't that right? That's the whole teaching there. 
So a woman's glory is not her hair. A woman's glory is her long hair. Now, I didn't say that. The Bible says that. And I remember in our class in Telios, when teaching that one time, and even speaking to a group of men who were brought up to, to believe that, I said, read the passage. A woman's glory is a long hair, but her hair is giving for covering. I said, now, what is a woman's glory? Her hair. I had to say that three or four times before the fellow finally said, oh my, it's a long hair. Now, you're going to have that same response when we come to the verses uh, next week from uh, that I'll be talking about, about why is a woman to be silent in churches? And are they the only ones who are supposed to be silent? It's amazing how we look at that passage, and the only ones we look at is the woman. But I want you to read the rest of this passage and tell me how many people are told to be silent in the church. You see? But here is Paul's point, and I'll end with this. See, it's a short message today, right? I'll end with this. Paul is saying that in the church, if we want to do the loving thing, we exercise gifts that can build up rather than edify ourselves. Now, this does not only mean to use the gifts of tongues or other things in that fashion, but all the other gifts. The gifts were given to edify the body of Christ. And that's what we are to excel in. That's what we are to pursue. How can I use my spiritual gift to build up the body of Christ? That's what Paul is teaching here. Next week, we see that he says not only by uh, seeking the gifts that build up, but also to be sure that you maintain order in your church services. We'll be looking at that next time. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you might continue to open the word to us as we read and study it. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who illuminates us and causes us to understand. You know that many times we do not want to receive what your word says, but give us, we pray, the faith and the courage to do so, even if it's ways that we have not understood or learned in the past. Help us, our Father, to put into practice whatever you say to us. And help us to seek to do things in our church gathering that build up and edify one another, and so show love to one another in doing so. And all of God's people said, Amen.